you, you'll find out pretty soon if you haven't already that um, we ended up and bit the bullet and bought a car this week. And, you know, it's been a while since I bought a car, and, and uh, I don't know if you've done it lately, but they're, they cost money. And uh, so I wanted a particular model, and my wife wanted another particular model, and her particular model was going to be a little bit more than my particular model. And we know which one won out, so we won't even go there. But I, I shared with the family, because the boys, I don't know about your family, but I can offer to go to Red Lobster. I can offer to go to the nicest restaurant in town, and the boys will always be disappointed if it's not McDonald's. I get tired of McDonald's, but anyway. So I made, I made the remark that, well, if we get this car, we're going to be eating at McDonald's a whole lot. So that evening when Mary picked the, the kids up for me, she came in the house and she said, Josh is so excited. And I said, why? He got in the van and said, we're going to get to eat at McDonald's from now on. So, And now you're going to see me tie McDonald's into Esther. Go to Esther 3. Are you glad that Jesus loves you? Amen. Are you glad that Jesus loves you? Amen. Miss Jessie, we're glad you're with us today. Are you glad to see her today? I'm in Esther 3, and I want to read the Scripture in your hearing, and then we'll talk a little bit about the things that are in it and what's going on. But if you would, stand with me. We're going to read Esther 3, verse 1. Esther 3, verse 1, it says, After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of... Haman Datha, the Agiite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gates said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, he would not listen to them that, he, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. Verse 7. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast Pur, that is the lot, before Haman to determine the day and the month until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Edar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the province of your kingdom. Their laws are different from other people's laws, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it to the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman and the son of Hamandatha, the Agiite, and the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, The money 
and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were called on the thirteenth day of the first month, and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the officials of all people, to every province according to its script, and to every people in its language. In the name of the king it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. And the letters were sent by couriers into the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Edar, and to plunder their possessions. Verse 14. A copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province, being published for all people, that they should be ready for that day. The couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, and a decree was proclaimed to Shushan the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was perplexed. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and what it means to us this morning. Thank you that you're going to speak to us and share with us what your holy word means to us. Help us today to know that you love us, that you're there for us, and that you have a purpose in our hearts and lives. We love you. We thank you for being with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Esther, we're back in this book. We've already been through the first two chapters. We've mentioned that Esther doesn't talk specifically about God, but God's all in the book. We may not see His name proclaimed and we may not see a lot of prophecy talked about. We might not see a whole lot of doctrine uh, put forth. But we know that God is working all throughout the book of Esther. I want to share with you this morning that it's the same way in your life. That even though it seems sometimes that God just isn't proclaimed loudly, that His music isn't on the loudspeakers and the banners aren't really flying that well, God's still in the life of a believer. Those that struggle, those that hurt, those that are having a hard time, those that are being persecuted. You may not think that God is there, but I promise you because He says that He would never leave and never forsake you. God is with you this morning and in all parts of your life. And even when it seems like that He's not, He is. And you need to hear that. Don't you need to hear that? Don't you need to be reminded of that sometimes? And He's there for you. And it's that way in, in this story as well. And as we look at Esther 3, there's a few things that I want to talk about. You basically see now that there's a conspiracy that's being planned against the Jews. Remember I told you this story is important because it had it not been for the, the good ending of this story, the Jews would have been killed and there would have been no Jesus born. Jesus needed to be born, church. I needed Jesus to be born. And you did too. And so when we look in Scripture, we understand it's important that somehow, way, God saves the Jews. He does it time and time and time again. Did you think that World War II was just a, 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 a history lesson and you, you get to watch on the History Channel about Hitler and, and, and all the Jews' persecution. I want you to know that God was preserving the Jews in the Bible and God was preserving the Jews in World War II. And if you can't see a relevance between the two, you need to go back and find it because it's there. 
And so God's preserving them all throughout history. And yes, many died. And yes, many were persecuted. But God still saved His people. And so when we look at this, we see it very similar here. As we look at this passage, we see that the, the conspiracy is made against the Jews and Haman because he is upset with one particular Jew. Because this one particular Jew, Mordecai, won't bow to him. He's figured out and discovered and, and decided that this Jew needs to die. But that's not going to be enough. All the people need to die. Now, do you see pride at work there? Do you see arrogance, evil at work there? How can one person be so evil? And yet they are. Did you know there are evil people in the world? We see them all the time. And we wonder, how could somebody be so horrible? And how could somebody do some of the things that we read about and study about? But if the devil can do it, he'll get into somebody to the point that they'll be evil, evil unimaginable. And I think that's a good case as we read here. So, Haman sets the plot and he gets the permission of the king that on this particular day, and we'll talk more about that later, but on this particular day, the Jews are all going to be destroyed. The Scripture uses three or four words to annihilate, to destroy. They're letting you know that they're all going to be dead. The men, the women, the, the, the children... They're all going to die on this one particular day. And then they set the plan, get the king's approval. They're happy about it. They sit down, and the last line basically says that they sat down and drank the toast. The deal is done. Because when the king speaks it, it's done. And now it's just waiting. As we read through this, I want to share with you three principles uh, you can apply in your life as you consider this story. And the first principle I want to share is, is this, that there are some things in your life that you don't need to bow to. You should not bow to certain things. Now listen, when we look in this Scripture, we see that Mordecai was given the choice, and really the order from the story was the king says that everybody's going to bow to Haman. He is my man he is the guy I've chosen. When you see him come through, you need to bow down. You need to also understand that the word that's used there, especially in Persian history, that's basically not just to bow somebody to honor them. Listen, there's not necessarily anything wrong with paying somebody respect, is it? We, when, when the bride comes down the aisle, what do we do? We stand up. I'm not worshiping the bride. But I stand up when she comes in because I pay her some, some, some respect in that regard. There was a time in our society we would take our hats off to, to a lady that come into the room. Or, or how many of you still open doors? Did, how many of you guys open doors for ladies? We need to. It, you know, it's kind of a hard, hard thing to teach, but I'm trying to teach it as well. And, and so there's, there's a respect factor that's there. So I don't want you to think that just because Haman was not bowing to Mordecai that, that it was against his religion. Because you need to understand, and this may burst your bubble, but based on what I have read, I think Haman and the Jews paid the king Ahasuerus a certain amount of respect, and I think they probably did bow in his presence. They didn't worship him, 
but they kind of at least nodded their heads. But there's a different thing going on here because there's a history involved. See, there's always a history that, that you need to be aware of. Haman was a descendant of Esau. He was a descendant of the Agites. And Mordecai was a descendant of Saul. Think Hatfields and McCoys. Think Family Feud. Think Bad Blood. Because if you remember the story, God told Saul when he made him king that he was to destroy the Agiite people. He was supposed to kill them all. Men, women, and children. Kind of similar to this story. Saul did a pretty good job, except he didn't kill the king and he saved some of the plunder. He might say, well, he, he did pretty much what God wanted him to. I want you to know, church, that it's not enough to do pretty much God what, what God wants you to. Obeying God some is not obeying God. Oh, but I... there's. No, not, obeying God or not obeying God. That's, that's it. And be bad enough to say which one you did. And as we look at this, there's a history that's involved between Saul, his descendants, and the Agites. Okay? When we look at Mordecai, he's got to know this history. And there's no way, there's no way he's going to bow down as if to worship someone, this bitter, hated rival. And i got to believe that Haman remembered the history and knew the history as well. Mordecai was a Jew and he told the people, I'm a Jew. And that, and that has a lot to it. It's more than just a list of things I can do and can't do. I'm God's chosen, I'm part of God's chosen people. It's more than just a list of restrictions. But God's chosen me to live a certain way, to be a certain way. I, I, I'm chosen. And you as a believer have the same thing going on. God's chosen you to live a certain way, to be a certain way. You're to be an example to people that don't know God. And you have got to live it up to His ability. You've got to do the very best you can to live up to His expectation. You won't do it completely by yourself, but God will help you. God will empower you. He'll give you the ability to do that. But you're going to have to get started. And when we see this played out, Mordecai is living up to a stand. Excuse me. Yeah, Mordecai living up to a standard. Uh, he's got to live to what he say he is. He's got to live to, to the, the expectations of, of who his people are. And he's not going to bow because of who he is and because of what he stood for. There are things in our lives that we bow for every day. There are some things that we just bow to and we say, well, there we go. We can't change it. We can't do anything about it. But one day it's going to catch up to us as a nation. One day it's going to catch up to us as a people. 
And one day as a believer, you're going to be held accountable for the things that you bow to in this life. You know, I don't know what those things are. I, I don't know what you may be bowing to. You might be putting up with certain things that you know shouldn't be there, but it could be a habit or, or it could be an attitude. You could be overlooking sin in your own household. Who's in charge of... I may lose my job today. Thanks, Miss Jesse. You want me to keep going? I'm going to keep going. Who's in charge of your household? God ultimately, but who's in charge of the household? The man. The dad. The husband. You're in charge of that. We think we just get the perks. The biggest recliner. A remote. A whole lot more to being a dad and being a father than a remote and a recliner. And see, we can't... We've got to be in charge of what goes on. And, and, and there may be things going on that, that we have to not overlook, but we have to hit them head on. There are things as in your, your house... There are things at a church that sometimes leadership has to hit head on. Don't want to do it. Don't want to mention it. But got to mention it and got to do it. Because if you overlook little things, they turn into big stuff. Have you noticed how that works? Turns into big stuff. You know, kittens are cutest things. They really are. The only problem with them they turn into cats. I'm sorry, cat folks. I got cats at my house, so please don't be offended. But they get bigger. Little problems turn into big problems. And we've got to be aware of those. Certain things we're not to bow to in this life. Second principle is this. You already know this, but I'll remind you. Following your pride can be dangerous. Remember a few years, well, I don't know how many years, but I noticed it growing up because my dad smoked cigarettes and I had this little warning that said something to the effect that smoking this could be hazardous to your health. And we know many things in life are hazardous to us that are an issue, but we have to make a choice that we override whatever the warning says. God says that sin is not a good thing for you. You need to avoid it. And you've heard it. And you've got it right here to tell you. But guess what? You'll make a choice whether to do it or not. Is sin hazardous to your health? Is it? Amen? It is hazardous to your health. And then guess what we do? We choose it on a regular basis. God says to choose life. And yet, many times we choose the wrong direction. Following your pride can be dangerous. See, we have in the story that Haman sets up this plot to kill the Jews based on his pride because Mordecai wouldn't bow. You think one person can, can mess up things for a whole bunch of people? We see that. One person affects life, good and bad. And Haman, one person, is upset with Mordecai, one other person, 
And as a result, the nation of Israel in captivity is in peril. They're in danger. They're going to die. Haman felt outraged. He had this feeling of being done wrong. He could have come up with a good country song, I'm sure. And he set a dangerous course that he thought was going to destroy his enemy. But as we read more, more into the story, we're going to find out it's going to destroy him. Pride can be dangerous. You have an issue with pride this morning? Got to be careful, like we said, because sometimes we get into this thing, and we mentioned it in the, in the beginning, and, and Tommy, I, he did such a good job bringing out that story that he started with. We can get so offended by something somebody else does to us, they never even thought they were doing us wrong. It was just a part of who, it, who they are. They say something. They treat us a particular way. It gets in our crawl. And we'll keep it in there till it kills us. And it's the little things that cause us so much danger. You know, I'm looking, and even as I'm preaching this morning, I'm kind of, ref I'm, I'm, I'm multitasking. I'm think, I'm preaching to you, but that's not all I'm doing. Because I'm, my mind is thinking about the many things I've had in my life, and I've got to be honest with you, most of the battles that I've fought in my life have been over the little things. As I'm standing before you this morning, I've had some big things in my life and, and certainly some big challenges and tragedies and disasters, but I would say if you counted them up, most of the stuff I've had to deal with have been the little things. And they've caused me worse trouble than the big things. Why? Because did you know it's easier to give the big stuff to God? It really is. People suffering things and, and they're going through things sometimes and, and they don't have any problem saying, God, I've got to give this to you. I've got to turn this over to you. You're going, they don't have any problem. They have that much teaching. They have that much understanding. They know the Lord that well. When it gets bad, give it to God. The problem is, is we don't give everything to God. Do you give the little things to God? That glaring look somebody shot at you that just hurt your feelings. Do you give that to God? That, that person that said something and really wouldn't anything bad yourself, but the more you thought about it, I wonder what they really meant. Do you give that to God? The person that doesn't consider, bless your heart, your feelings. Over everybody. Don't you believe that your feelings ought to be first? Go ahead and say amen. Your feelings ought to be first. They won't be. We've got to give that to God. Following your pride can be dangerous, church. Last principle is this. And I'm glad to know this. That the plots of man, the things he schemes and figures out and plans, puts together, they're subject still to God's plan. A few months ago, we did this, a study with Pastor James McDonald, Chicago, and he said something that really impacted my understanding of God's will being sovereign. In other words, God's always going to get His way. And he compared it to himself, God, being a, a master at chess. 
He plays chess in such a way he knows how to, to move and manipulate the pieces. And it doesn't matter what move you make. He can make the move that's still going to cause him to win. I play a little chess, but I'm not that good. I play the computer on occasion. There are days I have a great day against the computer. And I stand up in front of that computer and say, In your face. And then there are days that that computer just beats me. And I look around to make sure nobody saw that. But see, God is a whole lot better chess player than you are. And you can put your life this direction, God can straighten it out this direction. Then you can mess up this way and God can move it this way. And you can get your life so bent out of shape and you wonder how you ever get it back together. And all God's got to do is move one piece. And He can put your life back together. Isn't that something? God's got to move one piece. It takes me 45 minutes to, to, to do anything on a chessboard. God moves one piece. And church, His will is still in effect. One piece. See, God's plan was still in effect here in this story. Because Haman was plotting. The king was going along with him. They had it all figured out. They were casting lots to see which day. They set it down. We got it set. They're going to die on this particular day. Now we're going to sit down and we're going to drink. And God was not scared a bit. God at no point said, I'm going to have to get up and do something. These boys are about to get ahead of me. Doesn't happen. Because God's all He has to do is move one piece. Doesn't that make you feel good this morning? All God's got to do, all God's got to do, I don't care as they come and prepare for the invitation. I don't care where you're at this morning. And I didn't have this in the notes, but I'm going to preach this until I get tired of it. All God's got to do in your life is move one piece. And all you got to do is stay out of the way. And quit trying to move the next one. Now come on. That's good stuff. I know it's hard. Harder than that to, to think of that. Because especially when you're going, the Scripture talks the valley of the shadow of death. Especially when you're going through bad stuff. It's for one thing for a preacher to sit up and make a big deal out of it and everybody say amen. But you're the one having to live it. And I'm sensitive to that. I understand that it's, it's a struggle. But I believe that God wants you to know today that it's still the truth. That God, all He has to do is move one piece in your life. Here's the question. Are you going to let Him ask you to stand? Father, speak to our hearts today. Share with us what we need to know. And God, if you need to move in any way, God, please don't let me hinder you. I don't want to do that. God, speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.